Good morning, Covenant College. Is this on? Is this on? Okay, good. <clears throat> this morning we're going to hear another installment in our Faculty Chapel series of Dangerous Ideas. Uh, the enterprise of engaging in debating ideas, whether good or bad, dangerous or conventional, is hardly new. Tussling with ideas is rooted deeply in the human experience and extends far back into the oldest traditions of ancient civilization. We humans have been wrestling with dangerous ideas as long as we've had language to do it with. But the platforms we use to contend with ideas have evolved over time. While we still use books and other forms of print media occasionally, a great many of the ideas we encounter day by day ride waves kicked up by what social theorists and even hack journalists call the digital revolution. We do much of our reading online and engage one another using devices and applications that a younger version of myself, say Jay Green, sophomore in college circa, oh, I don't know, 1990, would surely have experienced as science fiction or even black magic. But contests and conflicts over ideas today seem unthinkable apart from the now normal technological wonders wrought by our brave new digital world. We should wonder, are there dangers lurking within the structure of this brave new world? Our very own John Hunt has thought about this issue a great deal, about as much as anyone I know. Dr. Hunt has been a professor of computer science here at Covenant since 2006. He is Janet's husband and Joel's dad. I marvel at anyone who has a PhD in anything that has required math. It turns out history, not so much. Dr. Hunt has, uh, again, has thought long and faithfully about the issues surrounding our digital moment. It is my privilege to introduce him to share his thoughts with us this morning. Please join me in welcoming Dr. John Hunt. Thanks, Jay. Great to be here. Oh, my mic really works. That's nice. This goes back to something that I've been thinking about most of the time I've been here. Uh, one of the things I do is I teach a course on professional ethics, and one of the topics in that is about privacy. Uh, over the years, I've noticed that I tend to think about that differently than, than most of my students, and that got me to thinking and wondering. And I've dug in more and more this past summer. I spent the summer uh, putting together a book chapter for a book that uh, Dr. Quattro is editing. And uh, I was really surprised at the stuff I found. There are a lot of things there that I wasn't aware of um, that I think are pretty interesting. But to go back to the first point that I thought about things differently, and uh, I'm going to risk stereotyping, I'm going to generalize what all of my students for 10 years have thought, which is not good, it's dangerous. Um, but they've had an idea that I think is a dangerous idea, and it goes something, something like this. I have nothing to hide. I'm assuming that that's on. I can live without that. Yeah? I have nothing to hide. Uh, as a Christian, there we go, maybe. As a Christian, uh, I should behave well, and if I'm behaving well, then I have nothing to hide, so I don't need to think about privacy. I don't need to be concerned about it. I can be an open book. And I think that's becoming a dangerous thought. Uh, perhaps we think this way because when we're growing up, hopefully in a loving home, it's appropriate to be very open with your family about a lot of things. Uh, but in today's world, it becomes a dangerous idea. Um, 
There are reasons to talk about privacy now. Changes in technology create privacy issues for most people that did not exist a brief time ago. Uh, even though I try to stay very on top of these things, I was really surprised when I dug into this last summer. Uh, and the many things have become public in ways that would surprise, certainly surprise me, I think would surprise most people. Uh, also, changes in culture make opinions that used to be commonplace, everyday, accepted, uh, are now incorrect. And that has some consequences, we'll see. Uh, the world is also much more globally connected. Choices that might be reasonable in the U.S. may not be reasonable elsewhere. Uh, I read this past week, in Europe one of the big things is this idea that there's a right to be forgotten. That there are things that get posted on the internet that uh, perhaps are unfair, uh, should be removed, and that might be the case. Uh, but the other week, uh, France decided that what it thinks should be removed from the internet, that it's not enough for Google to remove it from Google of France, or to remove it from addresses that are in France, uh, but rather they feel, and they're taking court actions to require that those things also be removed from being visible in the U.S. It's a very interesting idea that France can get to decide what you can see on the Internet in the U.S. Uh, so the world is flowing together, and not always in good ways. Uh, while our values of Christians should not change, the problems we need to contend with uh, do. And so I want to talk about two things. One is a Christian perspective on privacy. And another is how technology is changing privacy issues. And I've wrestled because I would love to spend a lot of time talking about the second, uh, but a Christian perspective ultimately is more important because it's going to last longer. Uh, there are things that are very exciting and changing today, but six months from now they may be forgotten. Uh, but how we feel about privacy issues as Christians uh, will, do, will, will last us for some time. So I'm going to start with that. Um, like I said, many of my students came to it with an issue of, you know, I'm a Christian, I should behave well, therefore I shouldn't worry about this. And I point out to them these things, um, and we'll run through these in a little more detail. God keeps secrets. Uh, we live in a fallen world. Some things are just not appropriate for anyone to know, and we can see that even in the Bible. And we should not rely on our post-Christian culture to determine what's right. Um, so God keeps secrets. In uh, Matthew 24, 36, Jesus tells us that only the Father knows the time of the second coming. Why is that? Doesn't the Father trust the Son? Of course he does, but there are simply things that it's not always appropriate for people to know. Uh, Jesus frequently tells those that he's healed not to talk about it. Once again, it's appropriate for that to be something of a secret. Uh, Jesus often goes off on his own to be with the Father or to escape crowds. He has boundaries, and that's okay. It's okay for us to have boundaries. It's not sinful to have boundaries. Uh, at the transfiguration, Jesus takes three disciples with him and then tells them not to discuss what they have seen before the resurrection, not even with the other nine disciples. There are simply boundaries that are appropriate. Matthew 13, 13, and we could spend uh, a long time uh, with someone that knows a lot more about theology than I do unpacking this, but in Matthew 13, 13, Jesus says that he speaks in parables so that people will not understand him, even though that means that they may be condemned to hell. He makes decisions about who should know what. Uh, it's, not, it's, it's not as simple as just saying we should be an open book. There's more going on there. We live in a fallen world. Uh, Genesis 3.21, God himself makes Adam and Eve garments, and that indicates that it's appropriate in a fallen world to have some privacy. Uh, Genesis 9.20-25, uh, this is where Noah, after the flood, has, uh, has gotten drunk and his, one of his sons comes in and mocks him. 
Canaan is cursed by Noah because Ham failed to respect his privacy, and God seems to confirm that this curse is appropriate. In a fallen world, there are bad people, and we need to protect ourselves and the people we care about by not giving out many types of information. Credit card numbers, bank records, our location, health information, the list goes on. A simple example, a trivial example, uh, thieves have taken to using social media to know when you're on vacation so that they can steal from your house. Uh, if you post about the great vacation you're having somewhere else, it, it may be putting a, a sign up that says, you know, try to steal from me. It's sad, but that's how it is. Um, some knowledge is not appropriate for anyone. This is a quote. Um, I should have had a slide at the end about this book, Data and Goliath. It's a very good, very readable book on privacy. I got a lot of it this last summer. Uh, but quote from there, we do nothing wrong when we have sex, go to the bathroom, or sing in the shower, or look for a job without telling our current employer, or pick private places for reflection and conversation, or choose when and who we talk about something that's emotional or personal. Um, there should be nothing wrong with that, and yet that's starting to become controversial. Uh, Google CEO Eric Schmidt claimed that no one should hide anything, uh, but he then banned employees at Google from talking to uh, the CNET publication because they discussed personal details about him in an article. Yeah. Um, Facebook founder uh, Mark Zuckerberg said that privacy was no longer a social norm. Then he bought the four houses that surrounded his so he could have more privacy. Right? Um, and freedom includes choosing what we want to reveal. Zuckerberg also said you have one identity, the days of having a different image for your work friends or coworkers and for other people you know are probably coming to an end pretty quickly. Having two identities for yourself is an example of a lack of integrity. I just disagree. Uh, this is not true. If we lose control about who we present ourselves to and how we present ourselves, it becomes dehumanizing. We become less than human. There's nothing wrong with feeling that there are some things that are appropriate for me to discuss with my wife that I wouldn't discuss with my students or that I wouldn't discuss with a stranger. Um, we can also ask, does our post-Christian culture always know what's right? Uh, Cardinal Richelieu in the Renaissance said, show me six lines written by the most honest man in the world and I will find enough therein to hang him. Uh, Berea, who is the head of the Soviet secret police, said, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. Uh, simply behaving well is not enough to protect ourselves. Which brings us to uh, Brendan Eich. Uh, you probably don't know him, but you probably use some of his work about every day if you're on the web at all. He invented a language called JavaScript, one of the 10 most common computer languages, and the only one that works in browsers. So if you do something with a web page that reacts to you, you're probably using JavaScript. Uh, he co-founded the Mozilla project. If you've ever used Firefox, you've used some of his work. Uh, he eventually, a few years ago, became the CEO of the Mozilla Corporation, which supports Firefox and some other open source projects. Uh, however, he had some employees that disagreed with his business strategy. They put out a tweet that he had donated $1,000 to support California Proposition 8, which banned gay marriage in California. Uh, the result of the uproar, because he had donated to an uh, anti-gay, a discriminatory cause, uh, he, he was forced to resign his position and leave Mozilla, even though he's one of the founders, uh, because he had an opinion about gay marriage. Uh, our culture will not always get these things right. Uh, we can't simply be an open book and assume that if we are good, everything will work out. Didn't for Brendan. Actually, he's okay. He's gone to some new projects that are pretty interesting. <laughs> Rest of us, maybe not so much. Um, 
So having hit why you should care, let me tell you some things that are happening that make this a little more urgent. Let me talk about the technology side. And I, I could go on about this for a long time, so I'm just having to skim the, the absolute bare highlights. Uh, there are a lot of changes coming around. One of the more interesting ones is unintentional data. It used to be if we wanted to record a fact, we had to have somebody do it. It required attention. If we hired someone to do it, that was expensive. Uh, the result is we were careful about what we kept track of and stored. Uh, but now we have uh, computers that are about everywhere that can do this on the side, and so we have what I call unintentional data, and that's, that's a, a word I've coined, unintentional data, um, that simply automatically gathers stuff without us being really aware of it. And storing it's almost free, and so the easiest thing to do is to hang on to all of it uh, in an open-ended, indefinite manner. We'll see some examples. Uh, computing also makes it easy to combine data of different types from different sources, and we've started getting very into correlation to prove things rather than causation, and we'll look at all these pretty quickly. If the government required you to carry around a load device so it could track you, you would probably be offended. Uh, instead, we have you buy your own device, right? Um, you may not think about this, but in order for you to get an incoming phone call, uh, we have to know which tower to send the other end of your conversation to, which cell tower. And to do that means that your cell phone, if it's on for an incoming call, it's constantly talking back with the towers around it, figuring out which one is the closest, the best connection. As you move, maybe driving in a car, it's got to switch which tower it's talking to. So it's constantly doing this little dance every few moments of where it's checking uh, in with the surrounding towers. And in the process, it notifies the tower, hey, I have this cell phone, I have this cell phone number, uh, let me know if a call's routed to you. Uh, and of course, we store that, which means we draw a little trail, or we can develop a little trail of every place that you've been while your cell phone's on. And we hang on to that indefinitely. And they're starting to use that in some interesting ways that we'll, we'll get to. But let me back up a little bit and talk about this type and source of data. 90% uh, of the world's data was created in the past two years. So it's a very rapid thing. Uh, most of this is unintentional data. It was gathered for some specific purpose, but we hang on to it and we reuse it for a bunch of other things. Uh, your cell phone pinging the tower, that was meant to get you an incoming phone call, right? Uh, but that's not all we use it for. We hang on to it and we use it for all sorts of other things. Uh, cell phones are a great example. Uh, when they ping the tower, they give away uh, the location. They'll keep track of the, any, the time that you make a call. Uh, they'll relay background noise. Uh, and also movements such as the phone bouncing around or being carried. And you can do interesting things with that, uh, particularly the movement. For instance, I can determine if you're sleeping. Uh, also, I can even determine if someone has psychological issues. I was reading last summer about people that wrote an app, they're a group of psychologists, and they wrote an app that based on what was going on with your cell phone, is it being jiggled, is it being bounced? When you talk to someone, are you loud? Do you shout a lot? Is there a lot of background noise? Um, do you seem agitated in the middle of the night as opposed during the day? Or do you seem to be sleeping? Putting these things together, they believe that they can identify if someone has a psychological problem and they would like to start notifying the authorities if that's the case so they can come and help you. Uh, I don't know that I want people showing up on my door to help me because I joggled my cell phone, okay? Um, part of it's I'm a wiggly person. Uh, web pages, you think you're just visiting a web page. In fact, a lot about that visit gets recorded. The pages you visit, 
search terms that you put in, how far you scroll down the page, uh, anything that you click on, those all get recorded and brought together into a picture of you and what you're looking for. Uh, you take a digital photo, maybe with your cell phone. Those photos have attached them what we call metadata, uh, data about the photo, everything from the serial number of the camera, the time of day it was taken, the GPS coordinates of the location, uh, the light levels, the camera settings, all that's recorded. And if you upload that picture, all of that goes with it, okay? And then becomes available, unless you make special efforts to strip it, all that becomes available if you post a picture. Cars collect data on how and where they're driven, okay? Um, insurance companies are starting to take a lot of interest in this. How often do you brake? How hard do you hit the brakes? How fast do you accelerate? Uh, we're starting to channel all this stuff to uh, insurance companies. If you're in an accident, there's a black box on your car that records this. Uh, yes, officer, I was only going 25. Well, we'll know the truth. The truth will win out. Um, social media, this may be more obvious because at least you're doing something intentionally, right? I posted a picture of my vacation. No, I didn't think about all the other data, but I did post a picture. I know that I did that. Um, but that can be developed a lot. Facebook, by default, does what they call tagging. They look through your photos and they identify the people in it and they tag the names. It's, it's kind of helpful in some ways. But even if I don't have a Facebook account, if I'm with a group of people, and I don't have a Facebook account, but if I'm with a group of people and someone's taking some pictures and they post them, um, that's going to get tagged. And the location of where and when I was is going to get tagged with it. So my life becomes an open book without my really trying. Um, combining data. Uh, data is very easy to move around if it's computer data. Within a year of collecting data, there are probably a thousand copies of it. Many companies admit that they buy data, but very few admit that they sell it. Kind of interesting. Why is that? Uh, we can combine data in interesting ways. For instance, we can take uh, the weather uh, plus the number of cans of Coke in a machine, and we can adjust the pricing. Coke had a project where they would change the price of the Coke based on the weather and based on the number of cans of Coke they had left to sell. Uh, that's a pretty innocent example, uh, although it does note that uh, when the internet came out a few years ago, we thought we'd have custom products that you'd be able to order jeans that actually fit, stuff like that. Um, we don't see that anymore. Uh, Levi canceled their, their, their project for that. So we don't get custom products, but we do have custom prices. Okay? When you try to shop online and you get a price on something from, say, Amazon, uh, that price is not the same that other people see. That price includes things like whether you've gone to a coupon site and downloaded a coupon. It includes things like did you buy something expensive, because if you did, you're probably not that price sensitive. So if I buy an expensive watch this week, I might get a different price on a book next week. Right? We keep all this together so that we can customize the prices just for you. Um, correlation versus causation. Causation, one thing causes another. That's traditionally what we want to look for. Correlation, if one thing happens, the second thing is likely to happen. Uh, it's a much looser standard, but we're using it in some fairly tight ways. For example, we can combine your cell phone location with the location of robberies and maybe put you in jail. And in fact, this is a technique the police have started using. If I have a pattern of similar robberies, I look through cell phone data, I find a pattern of where a cell phone was near the various sites, and I use that to base my arrest and a lot of my evidence on. Uh, this past summer, the courts decided that the police actually had to get a warrant in order to get that phone information. Before that, they just uh, went down to the phone company and browsed through it. 
Um, this is another more interesting one. Um, I can combine your Facebook friends and their credit reports, how likely they are to pay off a loan, and I can use that to change your interest rate. Uh, there are companies now that when they offer you a loan, the loan rate, the interest rate that they offer you is based on whether your Facebook friends are pay up or not, right? You never, you, when you friend somebody, you may affect what you pay for, for a mortgage, okay? Um, an interesting point about this uh, is correlation. Correlation often means trying to keep the same patterns in place. That's the easiest way to do them. We see a pattern, so we write software that tries to keep it in place. And in the process, we may be trying to keep people in their place. A couple of examples. There's a mortgage concept called redlining, where I circle an area because it has a particular ethnic minority, and I don't do business there. I change the terms I do business. A couple of years ago, Bank of America uh, ended up in some trouble. Uh, they built a website, and the website was to try to encourage people to uh, change houses, because if they change houses, they need a new mortgage, and there's Bank of America, and they can sell you a mortgage. It's great. So um, they built this website, and one of the features was if you put in your current zip code and that you wanted to upgrade a house, they'd, check, they'd suggest neighborhoods that you should look in. It was a helpful service. Uh, but most people live in segregated neighborhoods, so what happened with this product is if you were uh, an African-American and you put in your zip code that was largely African-American, it would suggest neighborhoods to you that were largely African-American, and it would not suggest neighborhoods to you that have majority white. They got in some trouble for this, and I think rightfully so. Uh, we don't need to propagate that thinking through our software. Uh, another good one, uh, Google, uh, Google ads are targeted. They're based on you and who you are. Uh, recently, they did an experiment, and that what they found was given an account of a, uh, a profile of a woman and a profile of a man that were quite similar, other than uh, one could be identified as female. Uh, the male accounts were much more likely to be shown uh, employment ads for high-paying jobs. The women were shown ads too, but only for lower-paying jobs. Uh, in particular, jobs paying over $100,000 a year were shown almost exclusively to men and not to women, despite other things about the women's account. Right? Why? Because there's a correlation that in the past, a lot of women haven't had high-paying jobs. But if we lock this in in software, we're going to perpetuate that, and people have suggested that data misuse may be the next big civil rights issue. I'm at time, so I'm going to skip that, and I'm just going to wrap it. Um, there are reasons we should care about privacy as Christians. Simply saying, um, I have nothing to hide, I try to behave well, I try to be a good person. As Calvinists, we should know that we don't succeed so well in that. Um, really, um, it's not enough. Not in a world that's post-Christian, not in a world where we don't control things. We need to think about it. And we also need to remember that technology is dramatically shifting our personal boundaries in ways that are hard to understand. Uh, part of my job is to keep on top of this stuff, and yet I'm constantly surprised at what's going on there that reveals things about myself that I wouldn't have thought of. So we need to stay on top of that. Finally, it's not just a personal issue. Maybe I really feel I have nothing to hide. Maybe I'm willing to be an open book. But when we develop a society where we try to act that way, um, it changes the society, it changes how we relate to other people, and it changes the society that we all need to live in. So with that, uh, I would say this is a dangerous idea that you should keep in the back of your mind and think about. Thank you.